What do you say? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It's good to have you here. Uh, before we get into our interview today, I want to uh, just share with you my new book, People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams, is out. You can go and check it out on Amazon and various other retailers. So go and get that if you haven't got it already. But more importantly, let's talk to our guest today. I'm thrilled to have on Angela Brown from the Linux Foundation. How are you doing, Angela? I'm great. How are you? Oh, living the dream. It's the only way to do it. Obviously. So, <laughs> so let's go through the rap sheet. Um, so you went to school at uh, Arizona State University. You studied communication and business there. Yep. Um, and then you went uh, to work at a place called Red Herring, where you were an event manager and you were there for about six years. Then you uh, went to a couple of hotels, the Sheraton and the Pan Pacific Hotel, where you were a catering manager uh, before founding your own events business in 2004 called Open Door Events. Mm -hmm. Um, You did that for three and a half years, and then you went to the Linux Foundation in November 2007, and you've been there ever since. Um, Yes. 12 years. Very impressed. 12 years. 12 long years. Uh, And the Linux Foundation has gone through quite a journey. I mean, back in 2007, it was, you know, a very young organization. And now it's become basically the preeminent place where, <laughs> where open source projects set up foundations, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's kind of precisely why I'm still here. I mean, I think there were various stages over time where right. I kind of said to myself, well, I think I might have, you know, kind of finished everything I'll be able to do here. You know, <laughs> we're probably going to stop growing and, and it didn't happen and continue right. to not Well, and not only that, I mean, a lot of people know the Linux Foundation because of all these foundations. It seems like there's a new foundation springing up (laughs) almost every week. Um, um, But the events have become such a staple part of this. So when I think back to 2007, when you joined the Linux Foundation, um, you know, the events that we all went to in the open source space, we were going to OSCON, there was, um, you know, the FOSDEM, the various events in Europe and all over the place. But now, uh, I mean, those are, many of those events are still going, of course, but the yep. Linux Foundation events have become like a really foundational piece of this, like the open source summits, um, you know, the KubeCon and, and all of mm-hmm. these different events that you run. So what's that journey yeah. been like? I mean, what was Insane. it, what, what was it <laughs> no. like back when you started out? I mean, did you have a lot of resources to run these events? What was your goal back then? Yeah. I'm, so the goal was never to start an event empire or even from the Linux <laughs> foundation's perspective, it's not, when I walked in in 2007, we didn't have this grand plan to do mm. everything that we do now. Honestly, it all happened really organically. Right. Um, when I came on, it was, you know, uh, probably eight or nine months after the merger of free standards group and open source development labs. Right. Um, and you know, it was really kind of a, it was also right at the time of the, uh, great economic fall was, it, you know, it, happening. It was not, not a good time financially, not a good time financially. <laughs> And so, you know, we have always, and I think this is one of the reasons that we've remained successful uh, at it, you know, from the beginning, it was, okay, we need to do a few of these events. We had um, uh, this, a lot of the subsystem, kernel subsystem maintainers that had wanted Mm. to start this event called Plumbers Conference. We had just taken on Kernel Summit, which was a hugely small, but hugely important event where, you know, the key kernel developers were getting together to discuss release cycles and issues. And, you know, this was kind of where I really started to understand this sort of juxtaposition of how the amazement of how you get developers and open source that can work together across the globe and the work that can be done there. But also at the same time, this supreme value of meeting face to face and how you could very quickly you know, hash out problems, build relationships that yeah. kind of helped you to do everything else. Um, it started very organically in that respect. And Linux world was still around at that time, but was definitely kind of <laughs> on the way down a little bit. They were on, Yeah. And <laughs> right. um, some of our member companies were saying, you know, it, we see that open source is growing here. We think that there's a lot of education that needs to happen. And it would be great if you did more of a broad Linux uh, conference, technical conference as well. And that was kind of the beginnings of LinuxCon. But to go back to your question, that was was the plan. And it was do these things as 
inexpensive, excuse me, inexpensive as possible because we really don't have any money. Right. And, you know, try to provide an experience that is going to make people want to be there. And I think having come from these two organizations into one and being a very, uh, new and sort of, uh, just a new organization really kind of wanting to show value customer service had always been like of the utmost importance. So making sure that developers felt loved, that they understood that we knew how important they were. And that was really kind of how we approached the events. And that's been the same way that we've continued to approach the events as LF has grown. And a lot of that growth, as you said, is because apparently we did a good job, um, you know, kind of, uh, taking care of Linux in terms of, <laughs> right. uh, you know, all of the sort of services we provide, uh, for open source foundations and members started approaching us to do other ones. So the organic growth has been amazing, but it, mm. it really has been that it's just, it was never sort of a grand plan, but we, especially like for those of us who have been here for a really long time since the beginning, it's always trying to keep those, those original, uh, ideals and kind of uh, reasons that we did things and ways yeah. that we did things. And I think that's why we have been able to have that staying power. Right, exactly. So I definitely want to get into later on kind of what you see as the the essential ingredients in a great event. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, for, for people who are listening to this who've not been to um, a Linux Foundation event, I mean, they are remarkably well, well organized. I'm not just saying this because you're here. Uh, <laughs> you know you. I respect the work that y- yeah. you and your team do, but... You know, a lot of conferences you go to, a lot of people have the same complaints. You know, the Wi-Fi doesn't work, the food sucks, the room's too hot, uh, we don't understand where to go. There's all yep. of these things. People are thrust into this environment where it's easy to complain, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> and the level of complaint, there'll always be complaining where human yes. beings gather, but the level of complaining that I see at Linux Foundation events is significantly lower than a lot of events. The event, the, the, the Wi-Fi usually works, the food is usually decent, the signage is good, people know where to go. Um, but we'll get into that later. Later on, okay. back in those earlier days when you were, because you were, were you new to open source at this point when you joined the I Linux was, Foundation? I had I had a tech background um, right. in terms of. So you mentioned before that I uh, worked at Red Herring, mm. which previously was a, a French company called Dassar, and I okay. started working there in high school. So this was before college. Oh, wow. I I never meant to get into events. It was sort of the high school, after, you know, the after school job that, that paid, that right. had the, high, the, 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 the largest hourly wage <laughs> and was uh, work that I knew how to do. Right. Um, and I just ended up staying there, uh, working on their events, which were for CEOs, um, in the tech industry. So, you know, I growing up in the Bay area, working there and really kind of watching sort of startups, the growth of startups and everything. So I had that background, but I had, n- I mean, I knew who Linus Torvalds was. That right. was it. So right. Like- okay. Yeah. <laughs> but was there something back in those early days when, you know, you went and started doing it because yeah, it paid well and it was something you could do. What was it about events? Because obviously this is, you know, obviously this has been something that you've stuck at and, and most yeah. people don't stick at things they don't particularly enjoy. What is it about events that back in those earlier days that captured your interest? Yeah, honestly, it is, it's, what I think an actor who chooses to do theater mm. versus maybe TV, uh, how they feel, I think theater performing live has got to be incredibly difficult. Right. But you get the audience reaction right there. Yeah, this feedback, and that can, right? Yeah, right. and that can be not great, <laughs> but it can also be <laughs> amazing, right? Watching people actually enjoying what you've worked really hard to build. Mm. Um, you know, I, I describe it as an energy because sometimes I'll stand back at events and just watch the interactions and all the things that people are supposed to be doing and watching them engage. And there's a, at a good event, there's a buzz and an energy and it's it's electric. And I I, honestly, that's like, you know, I feed off of that. Like that is what makes me want to continue doing it. And so I think that's really been, I mean, it's not easy work. Um, but that sort of ability to get that instant and, you know, right in front of you, gratification when it works well makes right. it just really worth it. So with that, cause I completely agree with you. Like this, there's, there's events that you go to and 
like everybody's excited you can feel it in the air and then when you leave people go away and that was that was a great experience what do you think are the components of that because you know you go to a typical not just a linux foundation event but other events as well Mm -hmm. and there'll be keynotes there'll be panel sessions there'll be regular kind of presentation sessions there'll be boff sessions or birds of a feather sessions if people are unfamiliar with those there'll be the the quote-unquote hallway track which is where i think i spend most of my time what do you think of the elements that contribute into that energy? Is it the types of session? Is it the the conversations that people have? What's been your observation there? <laughs> I don't have a final answer because if I did, I would package it up and sell it. Um, it is a, I mean, that is kind of the big question, right? You're always right. trying to kind of um, tweak things to, mm. to, to get there. Right. I think it is a combination of a lot of things. And some of it is frankly, just a bit of luck too. Um, you know, I think creating an environment that people want to engage in and have that makes them feel comfortable. And I know that's a very yeah. broad answer, but that can be a lot of different things. It can be the actual location, the city, it can be the actual location, the venue. I mean, there is a very big difference between an experience someone has in a venue that is made for the kind of interaction or set up for the kind of interaction that, yeah. that they want and need versus one that just isn't. Um, you know, if people are comfortable, then they're going to relax and, uh, you know, socialize more and enjoy themselves more. Um, so I think there's that aspect, right. the content of course, too. I mean, you know, and again, that can vary in a lot of things. I mean, you can do, you can have a, you look at something like KubeCon and mm. you've got a room with 12,000 people in it right. and this massive, you know, screen that's like 50 feet long and the music's going off and everything. I mean, that creates an energy and frankly, energy is, you know, it's contagious. So if there's a positive energy flowing, it's contagious. And if there's a negative energy flowing, it's contagious. So something like that can do it. But I mean, I've seen that kind of electric energy in much, much smaller groups too, that don't have that kind of production level. Right. Um, so I think you kind of have to have the basics working, right? People, one of the, one of the things it's uh, a great, it's a, it's a pro con we'll say, but honestly, (laughs) I've grown to love it is, you know, our typical audience are developers and developers jobs are to, you know, make great code. And there is a lot of, you know, finding bugs, perfecting things, tweaking them. And that kind of, uh, you know, that, that focus on quality. Yeah. We get that feedback. You get, in do you ways, get a lot of very yeah. detailed feedback, Angela? <laughs> oh, yes. And, you know, at first there's, for someone like me who really is a people pleaser and wants everyone to be happy, you know, you start going through some of this and all you see is the negative. You're just like, oh, yeah. they hated it. But then over time you realize like, no, they actually liked it. They're really just trying to provide, you know, they can't, they can't help but notice these things and they're trying to help yeah. you make it even better. So being able to see it from that perspective is really helpful. But I do think, I mean, if someone is worried about the Wi-Fi, like if you're trying to engage with someone in a conversation and you want to show them something on your computer, but you can't get the Wi-Fi to work, that's kind of killing things. If you have, you know, conferences are exhausting. So, you know, again, something that seems really small, but having coffee that is available and that you don't have to hunt for, uh, Uh, you know, that is important to keep the sort of energy level going. So I think it's a lot of things, the content and speakers play into it immensely too, because, you know, if people are in sessions throughout a day, um, you know, and I'm talking about the people that go to sessions, not the hallway track folks like yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but you know, those folks, again, it's like, if you have great content, you come out of that session and your brain is just spinning with ideas. We've Mm. ever gone to a, I mean, I've done it. I've gone to conferences where you come out of a session. It's like, you're just like taking notes and you've got all these ideas that it's spurring. So you come out of that feeling electrified too. And again, that kind of carries through the event. So it is a lot of different pieces pulled together. Um, and we're always just trying to make sure we have that magical mix and right. Exactly. We're constantly perfecting. Do you get a sense that, um, audience interests differ around the world? Cause I mean, just as one example, (laughs) the open source summit takes place in America, in North America, in Europe, in Japan as, as three examples. How, how does that vary? 
Um, this it, if it at is, all. yeah, no, it does. And it's fascinating. Um, this is a, a, a small example, but one that just pops into my head, um, in Europe this year, it opens for summit Europe in Lyon. Uh, we ended up doing more of a late night, uh, attendee reception. Right. I mean, Lyon is filled with like amazing restaurants and we didn't have yeah. a lot of free nights. So, uh, you know, we decided to kind of do just like an after dinner. Um, we also did not have a lot there honestly are not a lot of evening event options in Lyon and mm. you've been to a lot of our events. So, you know, right. that we try to do something fun, like an yeah, experience. Sure. So, you know, a, a Mardi Gras parade in New Orleans or going right. on the USS Midway in San Diego, like just fun things that people yeah, can remember. I met Tom Cruise that it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get close to him by the way. It was too scary. Like he it was, was, it was, it was really weird. He was, was creepily like Tom Cruise. I know. I the stood, mannerisms. Oh yeah. I stood away and I watched, but I couldn't get close. Um, yeah. but we actually had, I had a number of people email me after saying, you know, I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, but I was really bummed out that we didn't do the full evening event. Like we usually do for me, that has always been a huge place for networking. It's kind of this like, you know, icing on, on the cake, mm. um, at the end of the event, like a fun experience. And honestly, it's just come to be this, this part of the event that I really consider, you know, just for the, the, especially for someone that's going to sessions all day, they don't yeah. get the same hallway track time that folks that aren't doing that do. So the right. evening events where you're actually, you have everyone together, especially, you know, if you go to a conference and you know, a bunch of people there already, that's a very different experience than if your company sent you by yourself. I don't know. Well, you're probably a little more social than me, but I've gone to conferences by myself before. And until I get to know people, I am a wallflower. Like, oh, I'm no, not- I'm, I, I'm exactly the same. Like I, yeah. it's, it's Eric and I talk about this all the time. She can just walk, walk into a group of three people and introduce herself. And I can't do that. Me neither. I'm terrible at that. I just, I feel, cause for me, I think there's an element of my Britishness is like, you know, I feel like I'm imposing <laughs> yeah. a little bit, but I might um, be part British then because that's exactly what I feel like. That's why I like you, Angela. It's cause you're part <laughs> British. It's, this is obviously it. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, all that's going through my head is, did I just interrupt their conversation? Do they not want to? Right. So, so those know, events play a big role in that then, right? They do. And so, and one of the things we had noticed over time as well is we actually get much higher numbers in Europe than we do in North America going to those evening events. But if you also go back now, we've looked at the attendee data and in Europe, we get more people that are the solo person coming from their event versus in the U S there's a tendency to send, uh, two or three people. So that social aspect, that ability to have that time where, you know, in the U S I see a lot of people that are like, Oh, I'm seeing a bunch of friends. I haven't seen for a while. I'm with coworkers. We all want to go out and do a dinner. So they kind of appreciate maybe having that extra night in Europe. That's kind of, that's changed a bit. It's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I also have noticed that, um, in Europe, the developers have are more excited about these sponsor booths, which again is kind of an amusing one. Really? I think, huh. yeah. But I think this is also because there just aren't as many conferences like Open Source Summit. Um, right, that's definitely Europe. true. Yeah, yeah. And so I think maybe as a developer in the U.S. Uh, who might end up, especially if you live in like a tech hub and, you know, if you live in the Bay Area and there are, and there's, there's a conference every day. Yeah. Maybe you're just, you've done it, a, you know, a hundred times. You're kind there's of over no, it. There's no doubt about that in my mind. I remember when I lived in England, you know, there'd be, when I was getting interested in open source, there was the open source conference. There was a, I think it was actually just called the Linux conference Mm -hmm. in London, which was primarily an exhibition with a few talks here and there, but it was primarily a a big expo. Um, But there weren't really events like the Open Source Summit. The the place where people would go would be FOSDEM. And FOSDEM is very different to the Open Source Summit uh, for various reasons. And it's it's a great event in itself. So that kind of leads me to another question, which is, the role of data, like I mentioned earlier on, for example, that I tend to spend a lot of time in the hallway. I use, for me personally, I tend to go to, you know, like three or four sessions each mm-hmm. day that I'm particularly interested in. And then I spend a lot of time hanging out in the hallway. But part of the reason for that, and you touched on this, is 
I tend to know a lot of people at these events. Yep. So a lot of it for me is meetings and kind of just getting, catching up with people, frankly. Yeah. Um, but the experience of a brand new attendee is going to be very different. And they're like, you said, they're probably going to be feel maybe a bit awkward. I love the fact that, for example, you do the first time attendee uh, receptions, the breakfast yep. receptions, which I think are a great idea. Um, and I went to one because you asked me to go and just spend yes. some time there just for people who go to the event all the time and then, you know, so attendees can ask questions. And they all said that they found it, everyone who spoke to me about it found it really useful for breaking the ice, I which was, that. yeah, which is great. But what, what kind of data do you have available to determine typical attendee habits? Because I'm sure that it's like at the open source summit in, in Leon, Jim Zemlin, the yep. executive director of the Linux foundation asked how many people were there for the first time and a load of hands went up. Yes. So you're having to deal with an audience that spans from people who are brand new to this. Maybe you don't know anything about open source through yep. to the people who've been going to these events for 20 years. How, yep. what role does data play in that? And how do you design an environment that serves <laughs> that varied set of interests? It's your hitting the nail on the head of really the the sort of thing that takes up the most most mm. of my mind share these days because right. it really has changed in the last couple of years alone we are constantly tweaking i mean i'm going to we'll talk about open source summit because that really is the event that we have that is kind of the the large umbrella everybody right. come in and and learn here and um yep. To your point, I mean, the number of new first-time attendees that are coming in has grown dramatically in the next in the last couple of years. Right. Um, it makes sense when you kind of track it against the fact that open source has become the de facto standard at this point. Yes. Yeah. You look at a lot of the research that gets put out, and there is also just a huge shortage of technical talent to fill not only the jobs that exist now, but when they start projecting, you know, over the next decade and after right. it's, it's, it's kind of grim, right? So there is a huge, uh, push and, and for us, it's really important because it's important to the community. It's an important to our members, right? I mean, mm. they ever, we need more people. So we are trying to tailor our events a bit more to be, uh, more open and encouraging to the, those that are kind of, uh, just entering right. the, the data that we have. I mean, we are actually working as a foundation right now across the board to put in more, uh, tools, uh, to measure, you know, like uh, track data and analytics, right. uh, because it doesn't just affect events, right. It affects uh, what we do in training. It affects, you know, what choices our projects make. So, you yep. know, we obviously have a lot of resources to help provide advice and strategy yeah. um, for new projects as part of the reason they come here. And we want to be able to provide them data that says, you know, this is this, these are the types of things you want to do. These are the levers you want to pull if the goal is to help get, you know, more new developers engaged here, which is of huge value for them, right? Right, right. Um, specific to the events though, to your point in Lyon, um, at this, at this juncture, I would say we are getting about 50% of our attendees to the open source summits are coming for the first time. Right. And of those folks, about half are new to open source. So a lot of what you hear these days is the, you know, uh, my manager sent me here because we are, we are moving our systems to open source. I've never done it before. I'm here to learn how to do it. Right. And so there's a, a responsibility, I suppose, there. Well, and I imagine um, for that kind of attendee, the manager sent them, but I imagine that one of the reasons why the manager sent them was because, A, this is an event that I've heard a lot about and I've heard it's yep. good and you should go, and B, the content that's on offer is probably a primary pull for that, right? Uh, exactly. Right. Exactly. So. And, and the content is that that's kind of the key, right? So folks that are coming for the first time or are newer to open source are going to be the folks that are more likely to be attending sessions consistently right. throughout. And so we have adjusted our content. Um, this past year, we actually launched uh, more intro one-on-one -on -one, or sorry, one-on-one tracks. Um, right. Uh, fundamental tracks we, we've yep. been calling them, um, but on cloud administration, embedded development, and uh, Linux development, and we're right. really 
kind of continuing to provide more of that because that yeah. is a huge value. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we're looking at too going into next year, we've been working on is, you know, because we now have content that really is covering a lot of different, uh, levels of experience. Um, in addition to different, uh, areas of focus, mm. we are fine tuning our CFP so that, you know, before we actually review talks, before our program committees review talks, we have a good understanding of who the, who the target audience is for that. So that when we build our actual schedule and create, curate the content, we're doing it in such a way that we have the content that's going to meet the needs of all these different audience, um, focus areas, but also skill levels. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, we, want, yeah. we want people to be able to sort of work their way through content, not come once or twice. I got what I needed, but it's, you know, I can get my intro level content here. You know, I can kind of take the next step up to learn more. Um, then I can really start engaging with more of the senior developers and everything and, and kind of moving them through until they spend their time in the hallway tracks, problem solving and, right. and meeting all the folks they're working with. So, and that's got to be, uh, that's got to be tricky as well, right? Because I mean, certainly from, I, I mean, I, as many other people have spent some time helping as a program chair and I don't think people realize just how much, certainly with the open source summit, and I'm sure it's definitely the case with KubeCon and other events, yep. the amount of sessions that are submitted is mind blowing. It is. Um, and it, it's a variety of topics. It's a variety of skill levels. It's a variety of formats, whether it's panels or talks or whatever else. And taking that sea of talent and experience and potential and being able to put that into a carefully organized grid <laughs> has got to be, I mean, how has that changed over the years for you, Angela? Like, how have you evolved the approach to that? Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that you've got a lot more content being submitted now than you've ever had. Oh, yeah. um, and you're more mindful, like you just said, about about the different audiences that are coming to, to these events. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest change that we've had, I think, uh, well, let's start here. To your point on how many submissions that we get, we got over 9,000 talks submitted for events this year. Wow. Which is just mind-blowing, right? Um <laughs> Good Thankfully, grief. we have an, a, a large number of amazing program chairs and program committee members that help go through this. But they're hard decisions. I mean, across the board, on average, only about a quarter of these talks are accepted. And I think where you really do have the challenges, one, it's just the sheer number, right? So as mm. we're doing more events and as the number of submissions per event is going up, um, there's just a lot more work in going through and, and making those hard decisions. But Open Source Summit is an interesting one because it is one of the broadest covering events that we have. And it was purposely meant to, to kind of evolve that way, right? In the beginning, it was LinuxCon, and it was meant to be a technical developer conference. And then, you know, as technology shifts, as it constantly does, as you know, um, you know, cloud, the cloud was becoming a big topic. It was frankly just showing up a lot, uh, in our proposals, there was a huge overlap between Linux and that, and that. And so it ended up changing into Linux con cloud open. And then fast forward a few years later and, you know, our strongest track, I believe this was 2012, uh, our strongest track packed rooms were the LXC talks. So it right. was all, I mean, containers just blowing up. And, uh, and so then, you know, the evolution of Linux con cloud open to Linux con cloud open container con, we finally stopped at open source summit because technology is going to keep evolving. <laughs> it's really hard to market a conference with like 10 different names. Um, but the challenge, you know, really has been that we realize that we can't be everything for everyone, but we are the home of a lot of key technology uh, projects and technology areas that we want to make sure that we're providing valuable content in. And yeah. so, and then in addition to that, we also realize that, you know, the developers are amazing and they, then we want content, you know, it's at, at the core, these are still technical conferences that we're doing, but there are a lot of other people that are involved in making open source work. Right. And so 
and you know this, obviously, mm. you've been one of those people for a very long time and you've worked on uh, the program for our non-technical tracks at Open Source Summit the last few years right. as we've really tried to grow the community leadership, um, you know, program right. office leadership uh, content, et cetera. The challenge is you end up with a conference like this year that has 19 tracks. Right. And then there's the frustration attendees have because there's multiple sessions at the same time that they'd like to go to and they can't, and it becomes very hard to navigate. Um, so again, it's this constant tweaking of trying to find this balance of right. enough coverage for all of the audiences that, that do go, um, but not making it just overwhelming, um, right. for folks. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, what do you look at like or when you when you think about good content in that regard um a good session let's say yep like the way i've always thought about this to speaking personally is you want somebody who's obviously a good speaker who um and that doesn't necessarily mean they're a re very experienced speaker maybe someone mm -hmm. who's brand new at doing this but they've got an interesting set of messages that they can share that are preferably something that the audience can take away with that they can yes. take away and apply into their, into their, um, their own world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you want a diverse set of speakers, a diverse set of topics, but topics that are, uh, addressing kind of the needs of the conference goers. Right. Yes. Um, how do you tend to approach that in terms of that kind of content? Uh, and how do you work with your program chairs in that regard? Yep. That's a great question. And you are absolutely right. And just to, the, the two kind of points that come into my head now when, you know, we, when people ask us, you know, I'm going to submit a talk, like what are the pointers you can give us? One is if it's something that somebody could just watch on a YouTube video and get the same thing out of, you've missed the mark. Right. I mean, and, and anyone, I mean, if I went to a conference and walked out of a session and went, I could have just watched that on YouTube, that's, that's a problem. Right. And so to your, the second one, to your point is there's gotta be something new I'm going to learn. Right. That is shared in a way that I couldn't get just from watching a video on YouTube. Obviously part of that I think is if there's any kind of audience interaction that is hugely beneficial, right? Like, right it's a two way conversation as opposed to someone just talking at just speaking. Yeah. 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 The real world. I mean, for me, when I think about it, like when people are, are learning from, you know, their colleagues and other people that are going through the same things they are like, you want to, you want to pick up best practices, right? You want to learn what worked, what didn't and yep. why. So hopefully you don't go and make the same mistake. Um, that's kind of like when I think about open source in general, it's this idea of everybody coming together and working on things together for the shared benefit of all. Yeah. It's kind of what the content should reflect, right? right. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so it really, and, and yes, we definitely encourage first time speakers, but to your point, it, how you deliver, how you message, doesn't matter if you've spoken for decades or it is your first time out. Um, and at the end of the at the end of the session, you want people coming out with that energy and excitement. And so to me, that is if I'm listening to somebody and as they're talking, I can relate it back to what I am doing at work and it starts sparking right. ideas or, Oh, you know, it, when I have that desire to like feverishly write things down quickly, so I don't forget because I know that it's connecting a and B that, that to me is what you want. That seems to be the magic, right? Is when you get that combination of somebody who can deliver information in a really interesting manner that combines key principles and experience. Cause yes. that's what I love when I, when I go to sessions at events, when the speaker is sharing their experience of what they've done, what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. And they're an interesting uh, speaker. You walk around and, and you walk out with that great level of satisfaction, right? Yeah. Whereas to your point, if someone just stands up and basically barks out a load of things that you could frankly read in a book or you could watching a YouTube video, then yeah, that's an interesting nuance, though, isn't it? Because I wonder whether a lot of speakers get that nuance. Because yeah. certainly when people have come to me and said, like, what kind of events do you think will get through at the Open Source Summit? Then I, I, th I tend to share similarly what you've said. And But a lot of speakers don't, and I'm not <laughs> certainly not going to name names, a lot of speakers don't get that nuance right, right? They just I get know. up and they give a list of 
blah, 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 blah. And they don't have the experiential elements to it and they don't yep. weave it into a story. So 100%. And I think part of that, uh, just my experience over the years, and I've seen this on the keynote stage too, sometimes I think that an individual might have an idea of how to do that. But sometimes, uh, companies who I think are still new to open source principles right. in, in this way, the company wants to send them for a purpose. Right. And there is a message that company is wanting them to deliver in that session. Right. But open source developers, people in open source in general, smell bullshit a mile away. Right. (laughs) Like you can sit there and try to cover loosely in a session that really you're just trying to pitch your product. They know. Yeah. And that actually doesn't do you any favors. And I think that's the one that I try to get across to people is you would be better off going in, sending somebody in, having them speak passionately about a way that they fixed a problem or, you know, something they learned. The audience is so excited about that person that when the session's over, they want to start talking to that person. Right. And now to them, that person is knowledgeable and, you know, a good resource. And also that person works at X company on, you know, X product. And there's a connection that's made there. I think that from a company's perspective, you're actually better off doing that rather than trying to force a product pitch yeah. uh, down a speaker's throat, which unfortunately does happen a lot. And then from the perspective of the program committees and program chairs, to your point, I believe it is becoming more and more difficult as come as they're as open source again is just everywhere. And there are a lot of companies that have a, make a lot of money off of this. We all know there is that desire. I mean, I, KubeCon, were you at KubeCon in San Diego? No, not this time. Okay. The exhibit hall, the sponsor showcase. I mean, there were like 250 sponsors. And I think to me, this was when you walked in, it was vibrant and there was energy, but also it was, you know, almost reminiscent of like a, like a fair or a circus you go to, or <laughs> you've got, you know, everyone's like, come to my uh, booth, you know, guess, right. guess, the, you know, try to get the <laughs> ring around the bottle and everything. And it's just, these companies have a lot on the line. Yeah. Um, but you see more and more of these, I will call them veiled product pitches, um, mm. submitted. And then sometimes they're veiled really well. And sometimes those talks sneak through as, as accepted. And then we get really bad feedback from attendees. And again, that doesn't play well for anyone. So one of the things that we have done, uh, going into next year, we've just kind of tweaked this again is getting a lot more program committee members involved. So, you know, as open source summit, how it's gotten harder, um, is over the years, as the conference content has gotten broader, you can't be an expert in everything, right? The group of people that we have to use to review that content and make decisions becomes larger and larger. Program committee members are great. Program chairs are great. It's a lot to coordinate, right? And manage. And when you go through like a three week review period and you've got, you know, a hundred people that are actually reviewing talks and it's a multi-layered system then, right? You've got uh, you know, you've broken the hundred people down into groups, groups are, uh, reviewing different content. Then you have a next layer of a smaller group of people that takes all those groups together, does another review, then you've got the final chair. So it's, it is an intense process. And the program chairs that do these things, especially for larger events, I mean, they deserve a lot of kudos because it is, it's a big responsibility. Yeah. Um, but but, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing that, I mean, that's basically the only way when you're dealing with so many sessions to get the quality to the point where you need to get it right. It's yeah. just having multiple sets of eyes to, to look yeah. at it. We did have uh, content managers in house for a few years that to kind of, we still used committees, but kind of to make the final decisions. And right. we just realized that it's impossible for us to do have one person that can even do it for half of the events because you simply can't have that much knowledge, that technical knowledge across all these different areas. Right, right. So one thing that I think closely relates to this, we touched on kind of the quality of content and how it's delivered. And obviously the speaker is is, is a pretty critical component of that. 
in recent years, there's been more and more of a focus, uh, obviously, and this is a good thing, on diversity and inclusion. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's been interesting watching this over the years, not just look, looking at your events, but mm-hmm. looking at um, events across across the industry that uh, the kind of the early phases of diversity and inclusion were just um, – just getting a more diverse set of speakers participating mm-hmm. and having a code of conduct that was available yep. on the event website. And it seems to me that there's been more and more of a focus that that's not enough, right? That there's that there's more needs to be done to yes. make sure that these environments are both safe, they're inclusive, uh, they're representative of the diverse range of not just people, but ideas that are taking place in the industry. Yeah. How have you approached that? Because I mean, this has obviously been um, a contentious topic in some areas where there's been incidents that occur at events. I don't yeah. really want to get into that because they're very specific to individual events uh, across mm-hmm. a, a broad variety of different events. But I'm, I think people would be quite interested in hearing how you and your team have approached, like what are the the mechanics and the metrics that you've put in place to make sure that your events are pretty diverse, because I would argue, and again, I'm not just saying this because you're here and, and, and you're a friend, but I think the LF has done a really nice job here. Uh, and it seems like there's been a lot of thought and attention has got into this. Thank so you. how would you unpack, how would you unpack that? Um, so this is, it's, I'm going to, I do think we do a good job at this. Um, right. and, and, I think there's a lot, you know, this, this is another one of those constantly tweaking, constantly evolving because there's always more that you can be doing, but I think it is actually important for us to stop sometimes and say, don't always focus on the things we're not doing yet. Like, yeah. Celebrate the accomplishments. Exactly. Because it is, it is, um, it is really important, but it's also, uh, it's a lot of work. And right. it shouldn't be right. I mean, it, the, but this is a real issue that exists. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I will tell you that when this first started, you know, I think the so I started here in 2007 and it was pretty early on that there was sort of a, a movement of sorts happening. But, you know, I think it really kind of started a couple of years after I got here and, and things have progressed um, a lot since then. And what right. I mean by that is you it's kind of an interesting situation because you see more um, incidences, incidents uh, happen or get re- reported at events now than you used to. Right. I think a lot of that is because people feel more, um, they feel safer actually right. saying something, right. which is a great thing. And that is right. because of all the early folks that really pushed and pushed. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My own background. I mean, this is just an interesting thing and hopefully doesn't get me in trouble, but when this first started and we started having to pay attention, you know, creating a code of conduct, getting incident response training, having to really start working on outreach for, you know, uh, women attendees and speakers, I will admit there was a slight bit of frustration on my end. Um, because it's a lot of work and I think part of it, I understood but really, I guess, from my perspective, I did not see it as much as others did. Right. Why I this is interesting is over the course of the next few years after we kind of started that, it actually made me kind of go back and look at my own past and realize it's not really because I had I truly didn't think it wasn't happening all this time. It's that I started working in events and tech when I was 15. The first time I worked on site at a conference, I was 16 years old and it was in Spain. Right. The, the attitudes and behaviors of attendees as a, as still a, a kid in a lot of ways, I just assumed that was just the way it was. Right. And so I kind of just desensitized myself to it super early on. Right. And didn't even really think about it. And then as, you know, people start really kind of bringing to attention all these things that are happening, all of these ways in which, you know, women and other underrepresented groups are not being treated right and are being 
uh, held back and frankly are leaving in larger and larger numbers because even if they do make it in for a few years, it's such a horrible experience. Why would they want to stay? My brain started kind of really processing all of the ways in which these types of things had happened to me, uh, back in the day. And then I, I got it right. Then it like really kind of clicked. So something that to me was sort of this thing that we had to do because it was important to the community, but honestly to myself, wasn't massively important, became incredibly important. Do you think an element of that as well was an element was, you know, you've always designed, I I imagine, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you've been designing and building and running events, your goal is for it to be by definition, a place where everybody can feel safe and welcome and and participate. I get the impression, certainly when I've run events like the Community Leadership Summit, um, which is obviously a very small event, way different Mm -hmm. to the Open Source Summit. um, My goal has always been for it to be an environment where people are always welcome. Um, So there was an element of, certainly for me, a bit of confusion around, uh, well, I'm, I feel like I'm already doing this, you yes. know? And yes. then, and then I realized later on that I wasn't actually being intentional about it. I was just yes. hoping that the environment would be comfortable for people based upon, basing it on the baseline of people such as myself and the people who yeah. I knew. Uh, did you go through a similar kind of thing? 100%. And I also right. think as when you were in the organizer role, not actually being a participant at the event, your view the, you know, the lens at which you were viewing what is happening is vastly different. Right. Very different. So yeah. you're actually not fully able to see the experience that an attendee is. So like a woman attendee, you know, a, a developer who is in a, is the, you know, one of uh, only a couple attendees. I mean, you see some of the, I mean, there were events, you know, we'll say smaller events where out of a hundred people, there's one or two women. And so really kind of stepping back, I mean, you can't really, it's hard to put yourself in that position. It's hard to even understand what that is like. Right. Um, Right. Right. If you've never been in that situation and there are, you know, uh, I think that there are, um, race groups. I mean, as like African-Americans, like probably depending on where you grew up, spent a lot of time being one of a couple people in a room. And, and so, you know what that feels like, um, and the difficulties that go with that in tech or any field, there are a lot of fields that are male dominated. Uh, women feel like that. Yeah. I think also from my standpoint, events has predominantly been a field where there are more women than men. So I've also had never really had that experience. Like I kind of still, and I think this is it too. I still kind of considered myself not in tech, but in events. So in a way it was like, I was, I was isolated from it. So I think, you know, a lot of things changed my lens. A lot of things changed my view. And so it ended up becoming, I think the thing that I am most passionate about right now. And the thing that I take the biggest pride in, in terms of, I really see where we can affect, hopefully affect real change there. Right. And so there was, there was a massive shift in my own thoughts on it. I think though, having that background of seeing it in a different way is helpful from the standpoint, from my standpoint, because as someone who deals with code of conduct, uh, incidents, for example, when I have to, you know, go to men, um, sometimes, and I'm, I'm using light examples here, but right. Of course. Yeah. Something they say, right. Where you're, you know, my, what I will say back to them is, would you have said that to a man? And it's like a light bulb just flashes on and they're like, Oh, like they, they, I mean, and I'm not saying everybody doesn't understand. I'm not giving any, I'm not giving Uh, anyone a pass here. It's just an example. Yeah. 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 But it is interesting sometimes to see just that quick shift where, you know, some folks really have not gotten it. And so the goal, our goal for events obviously is one, we would like, we want the numbers to shift. And so going back to your original question, I mean, some of that is uh, diligent work. So we'll use an example of, um, women speakers. You have to do, uh, and it was more previously and it, it, it gets better as time goes on, but, uh, we do a lot of outreach to women for speaking. Um, an example that I'll use on this one is, you know, you have an event and let's say you get uh, only 
you get very few women that actually submit to speak. So we do some outreach. We get more women who submit. And so now instead of say, let's have, you know, let's say in year one, we had 10% of our speakers were women. Now in year two, we have 20% of our speakers that are women. Well, as women in the community are looking at the schedule and they see more of themselves represented, Yeah, it it feels like a safer space and more inclusive of them. So they are more likely to attend. It is the self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. It has a network effect, right? People feel more comfortable being there, which, which, which is a very human condition, right? Like if you see, if you see your reflection in the pool, you're more likely to jump into the pool. <laughs> yeah, even animals. I mean, like, you know, in the animal kingdom, like this is a a, a natural phenomenon that happens. Right. It absolutely makes sense. And so when you really kind of see it that way, when you start, again, from the organizer's perspective, you start seeing that shift and it happens pretty quickly. Then it's like exciting. It's, it's, it's energizing or it yeah. kind of pushes you to want to do that. Um, myself, I think it's important to cover diversity topics. And so we've actually, you know, have diversity empowerment summit within open summit for that perspective. But I've always kind of pushed more on the side of, I also want to, I, I'm more likely to want to hear women, uh, and other underrepresented groups talk about what it is they actually work on. Right. Like not, not just to talk about diversity, but if you are a developer, come talk about your like what you're doing in that space. If you're a community leader, talk about that. Because when I think about how things really do change and evolve over time, it's slow, but it is as something becomes more, uh, just the norm, like if for say, you know, down the road, half of our speakers are women, that just becomes normal. And half in those people are speaking about technology topics I think that has sort of that network effect you're talking about. So it's, you know, part of it is just kind of the the diligence of continuing to try and push up right. those numbers because I think the representation is important. When it seems um, it seems like that the when you're intentional about trying to facilitate a pattern, right? Then what happens is down the line the when you're unintentional, you naturally get that pattern. So right now, if you're saying like, yeah. we want to, <clears throat> we want to, we want to encourage an environment where, you know, women as one, one example of a group exactly. feel comfortable, can get a great loud speaker in their career and all the rest of it. Then if you, for other events that are less intentional about it, hopefully they'll just tend to have more women showing up and speaking because that becomes yep. more of a norm in the industry. But I imagine for you, if it's anything like, I mean, you have obviously considerable more events experience than I do, but uh, for me, it's bit, what's been interesting is is this is a very much of a learning lesson. Like I'll give oh, yeah. you one tiny example. Um, I remember putting the code of conduct in place for the community leadership summit, and one piece of feedback that an attendee gave me was, "You didn't list um, emergency contacts on the page." Never even thought about it. Never even totally. struck me at that point yep. in my life. And it seems so obvious in retrospect to do so. So I imagine you've probably been through a similar journey where this, you probably get a lot of feedback from attendees. And then that yeah. impact, does that kind of change the playbook? <laughs> it does. I mean, we love that because we can sit here and try to guess what all the things are that we should do. And of course we do research and we look at other things, but it's kind of the same thing as, you know, this is why our surveys are so important to us. Um, we want to know, like, we don't want to guess what is important to the community. We want to, we want to, you know, help, help us, help us help. Um, and so we've got things that we are definitive that we've learned over time, um, that we do, we kind of have a list of things that are definitives across all of our events. So, you know, every event is under our event code of conduct. We don't do any all male programs, no all male panels, no all male, you know, keynote lineups. Um, free childcare at all of our events, free non-alcoholic beverages at all social events, non-gender, right. I mean, uh, t-shirt sizing. Uh, so we do have all, we have kind of a playbook, right? Every event has to go by. And this includes our project events. So when new projects are onboarded, we hand over like the list of here are all the things that as an LF event you have to do in right. this space. Yeah. And by and the way, I'm, I, am I correct in presuming that'll get someone most of the way there Yes. to having yes. a an event that should have those principles that we exactly. want. Right? And right. they're thankful for it. Right. I mean, it's, you know, you don't have to start from scratch and I think everybody, I think I'm not going to say everyone, most people understand the value at this yes. point of yeah. diverse communities and diverse 
development teams yeah. and everything, right? Well, you get so, better results is one of the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the, the studies on this are just amazing. Like, it's right. so obvious. Um, but we are constantly iterating. We're constantly getting new feedback. Um, and some of this feedback actually is expanding sort of our view of diversity and inclusion. So I think the focus has been a lot on uh, uh, women and in increasing the numbers of women. Some of the things that we're looking at now going into 2020, really kind of putting more emphasis in, emphasis in is, you know, uh, in, uh, increasing accessibility for, you know, um, uh, different kinds of handicaps. Uh, right. and this kind of runs the gamut, right? I mean, this could be visually impaired, hearing impaired, right. um, like a physical handicap. One that is coming up a lot more specifically in certain communities is sort of, um, things like, uh, PTSD or anxiety disorders or things like that, where, especially when you're at a very large event, right. the sort of intensity of that many people and that, kind of situation. I mean, it's a lot and it can kind of spur things for people. Yeah. 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 And that frankly there it's, this is not a small number. It is actually a larger number we're finding right. from, from data than we would have thought. And right. so we want to make sure that we're doing that. And of course, race, I mean, there are, uh, racial groups that are ridiculously underrepresented in tech right. and, you know, so kind of doing more things there. Um, but it's also just tweaking the, how we do things. So, right. you know, I'll give you an example. Like we had, um, we have the pronoun stickers, right. right. Uh, that we have at events now. So what's your preferred pronoun? And we have signage out or we've had signage out that said that, you know, what is your preferred pronoun? Pick the sticker, uh, stick it in your badge. Right. Yeah. And somebody pointed out to us that saying preferred pronoun was not, the way that we should have the signage, because that's indicating that people actually have a preference on how they identify, which is not true in most cases. Uh, right? So instead, it should be more like a, like a chosen pronoun kind of thing. Yeah. It, right, right. More and of a concrete, was, right. I yeah. see what they're saying. Right. And, you know, when you see that and you actually just pause for a second and think about it, you're like, that makes sense. That's I mean, to me, that's kind of the same as, you know, if you're gay, you're not choosing to be gay. Yeah. Like, yeah. You right. are what you are. Yeah, exactly. And so little yeah. tweaks like that. Um, and we have some bigger ones as well. I mean, going into next year, we're actually moving the diversity empowerment summit to a pre-day right. event because one of the challenges we've had, and I've actually been thinking about this for a while, but have gotten enough feedback. We don't want someone to have to choose between going to the technical tracks that are there, you know, that they want to go to because that is what they're, they're doing at work and what they need to learn and how to be a good ally or, right. you know, other or diversity related topics. So separating those two so right. that that choice doesn't have to be made. Honestly, we probably should have done that a while ago. It's kind of one of those, why didn't <laughs> we, you know, but hindsight. Well, it's a journey. To, it's a journey, it's isn't a journey. it? And, yeah. uh, and, and I get, it's obviously a journey that not just you're going through, I think we're all going through and yes. we're, we're figuring it out and the results I think are speaking for themselves, which is good. Um, so I know we've only got a couple of minutes left. What, what do you see as the future? Like, I mean, is it just, it sounds, is it, am I fair to assume just like keep on, keep on trucking, you know, like yes. keep growing the events, keep learning, keep expanding out into other areas. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. I mean, so we are, it's, it's a, it's actually two sides of the coin. You know, there are so many events right now, both ours and, and other uh, groups. There are, you know, new open source projects popping up constantly and ton, right. you know, every company, almost every company out there is involved. So we are getting, you know, I think there's a bit of fatigue uh, you've got people that are just out of the office constantly, which is a drain yeah. on company resources and frankly, personal resources. I, yeah. I've watched the community, um, you know, being here for 12 years, I've seen a lot of people that when I first met them, you know, uh, might not have been married, had kids. Now they are mm. their ability to be on the road constantly. I mean, these things have an effect. Um, so we are actually just like you see in the LF overall with some of our areas where we have kind of consolidation under an umbrella. So for example, like LF networking, uh, last year we went through a consolidation of 
a number of separate networking related projects and consolidated them all under one, which was beneficial to the members and community. Right. Makes we're sense. doing the same thing with some events. So we're uh, trying to reduce the travel fatigue and consolidate where we can. So like for open source summit, North America next year, we've got, uh, at least three conferences I can think of that weren't co-located this year that will be co-located next year. Right. Um, and that's to, to help with that, that fatigue and that cost. Yeah. So, but while you see that, I think you're also going to see as new open source projects and new technology areas keep, uh, entering, yeah. uh, the field and things, there's always these kind of shifts. And so for us, you know, what I kind of always tell my team is, it's, it, it, there's never going to be a time where we go, okay, it's built and we can kind of sit back. It's just, (laughs) it's just constantly evolving, constantly changing. Um, and that's okay. I mean, that's kind of the fun of it. That's the challenge. Well, you know what, Angela, I think you're, I think you're the best in the business. And I think the work that you you and your team do is phenomenal, not just in terms of the content, not just in terms of the, the shape of the events, but also the tonality. Like I've always found you, and everyone who works with you to be like super approachable in the, in the way that you do it. And uh, so more power to you that. and your team. Um, hey. So, th- well, thank you for, for, for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will see you on the next one. Yeah.